is on women's backs to advocate for themselves. And when you are living in a fat body or a plus size body, it is already hard to exist in the world. It is already hard to take up space because everybody tells you that you shouldn't. And now you have a medical issue and you're speaking again to an authoritative figure that you've been told your whole life knows more than you. And you have to say, I understand that you think I'm fat and that that is the problem to all of, or that is the reason for all of my problems, but I don't agree with you. And so you need to do better. You need to be better at your job. You're listening to Now What? A podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, I'm Jen and welcome back to Now What? I'm Tisha. Thank you so much for joining us. All of October, our episodes are going to be focused on body acceptance. And we are very happy to be joined by Jen Green today. So that's right. Two Jens. I'm going to not get confused, but maybe you should call me Hoffmeister. You don't even know this, but I, sometimes I just say Hoffles because it used to be Hoffle oh, Hoffle B, but now you're just Hoffles because that's still too long. So yeah, okay. there you have it. All right. Well, I'm glad I know that now. <laughs> like it. I'm, I, that's great. <laughs> you all heard it here. Uh, <laughs> there we have it. Anyways, Jen, do you want to, I know that you're a mother, that you're living in Hamilton. What else should we know about you? I'm a mom to a seven and a half year old neurodiverse kiddo. So he keeps me on my toes. He's the sweetest little thing. I'm married to the love of my life. Very lucky. Yes, that guy. And I'm from the Maritimes. My sisters are my best friends. I miss the Maritimes. I haven't been home since COVID. So I'm definitely feeling the maritime ache. I recommend doing it. Yeah. I know. I keep putting it off and putting it off and I got to do it. I think, I think, uh, I think you should. Cause you can go, you you can go there. We can go now. Yeah. We can go now. Yeah. Well, we're so excited to have you here. I have been following you on Instagram for a while. So it's always nice to meet Uh-oh. people that you, that you think you're friends with in, in imaginary yes. life. <laughs> yeah. But you've never actually had a conversation <laughs> with them sort of like in the comments or whatever. Yes. Um, and we know that you have a bit of a story to share and we would love to hear it. All right. Um, So usually I start these conversations by saying, hi, I'm Jen, I'm 38, and I had a heart attack. Completely out of the blue. (laughs) I run a fitness company. It was really unexpected and really shocking. And it was nothing like how they show you in the movies. And I think that that was the scariest part for me. It wasn't like clutching my heart, fall down on the ground, need to call an ambulance. I, in typical mother fashion, It was about a week and a half before Christmas and I woke up one day and I remember walking up to my second floor and being like, oof, I can't breathe very well. I'm struggling to breathe. And of course it's like at the height of the second wave and I'm thinking, oh my God, I must have COVID. I can't breathe like that. That must be it. Right. Um, But I had no other symptoms. So in again, true mother form, I was like, nope, I got to buy the like teacher presents. I got to like order the stuff online. I got to make sure we got the tree. I was doing all the shit. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I ignored it and I ignored it and I ignored it. And every day things got a little bit worse. I couldn't breathe. I would get really, really exhausted. And then all of a sudden my eyesight started to go. Oh my gosh. Yeah couldn't see woke up I, I would say four days after everything like the first day I had noticed something had gone wrong mm-hmm. and I I literally couldn't see anything and my husband just happened to be staying home that day mm-hmm. and I was like I am going to call our our doctor and he was like finally because I am prone not to do that right <laughs> moms don't have time for that we don't have time for that. And you know what? I mean, I'll go on my feminist rant in a minute, but I just had lived a lot of experience of just being ignored by doctors mm-hmm. and being told you have a kid and this is just your life now. This is just how you feel. And so get used to it. And so I didn't want another 
moment of being dismissed. And it literally wasn't until I could not see, I had no vision that I was like, hmm, I should call the doctor. So I called my doctor who I actually adore. I switched doctors after a big medical incident with a doctor who ignored something that was really wrong. And I called him and I was like, here's what's going on. And he was like, you need to go to emergency immediately because I think you might be having a stroke. Wow. Okay. So that was his like over the phone diagnosis. And he was like, go now, do not pass go, just go. So my husband drove me to emergency and it felt like, I don't know. It felt like I had been hit by lightning. Everybody worked so quickly. I have never been processed so fast through. And during all this, you can't see. I cannot see a thing. This is also. Like it's just black or it's blurry. It's blurry. Like I can see color and I can see vague shapes, but literally that's it. Like I wouldn't be able to tell if it was my husband in front of me or not. Okay. It would just be a shape. Right. So they rushed me in, but because this is the height of the second wave right before Christmas in December, 2020, my husband was not allowed to come in with me. Right. They literally what was going on with you. No. And I couldn't see. So I was being led around by a bunch of random people to random places. Oh shit. It was horrifying. And I still didn't know what was going on. Like, according to my doctor, he's like, I don't know. Yeah. He's like, I don't know, but this is what it sounds like. So please. And when they rush you through like that, I like, they only do that when they think it's serious too. So if they make you wait in the waiting room, you're like, okay, so it's probably nothing. Yes. I'm probably rushing you through. You're probably like, okay, so maybe I have something to worry about here. Yeah. And again, because it was the second wave of COVID, they were very concerned that it might be a severe case of COVID. So they locked me down hard until they got um, my COVID test back. Wow. Okay. So everyone who came in was wearing like a hazmat suit. It was very odd. So you had like <laughs> ghosts coming towards you, like these yeah, white like blobs. Yellow blobs. Yellow blobs. <laughs> coming towards me. Um, they really like flushed my system really quickly with um, like lots and lots of IV liquid mm-hmm. to try and see if that would help my eyesight. And it started to come back, but that was the first step essentially of, of everything. And then the tests after the COVID test came back negative, then the tests started. And again, I cannot express how crazy it was to be in a hospital by myself a week before Christmas. My son is not allowed to visit me. My son, I like dropped him off at school that morning and then didn't see him for a week. We're still dealing with a lot of like trauma from that for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and to a kid, it probably feels like, like abandonment or. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't understand. I mean, he's seven, but he doesn't really understand what's going on. Mom went to the hospital and then just didn't come out for a week, you know? He's probably never experienced that before. Yeah. So it was a bonkers time. And the hospital was full to the tits. Like it was so full of, again, people with COVID, people not with COVID. So I went from this isolation room. They said, no, you don't have COVID. Now we need to do all the tests. And they didn't have enough rooms for me. And they didn't have enough beds for me. So I had to sleep in the ER two nights in a row. Oh, my gosh which again was bonkers because there were overdose patients. There were people losing their minds. Everything, everything in the ER was. So there was no sleeping. No, there was no sleeping. I still can't really see. So I'm stuck to my bed or anytime I had to go to the bathroom, I had to like ring a nurse Call and someone. they had to like walk me there, um, which was kind of terrifying. Yeah. Then they moved me to ICU upstairs with an older gentleman who I was in the same room as an older gentleman who was hallucinating and they had strapped him to the bed because he just kept hallucinating that his wife was there and he wanted to get out and sometimes he'd get violent and so they had to strap him down but this poor he was like 90 something and he kept asking for his wife and I just kept bawling because I couldn't see my husband and he was like asking for his wife and I was like this is horrible not okay none of this is okay and do you Um, do you know at this point like what no you still don't know what's going on with you no they still 
they did a, like, I cannot express how many tests. First of all, I want to say two things. Number one, I am so fucking grateful that I live in Canada because my family would be bankrupt to the nth degree had I had to pay for the test, the medicine, the IV, the stay. I just the whole time kept thinking how incredible it was that I was Canadian and I was going to get to leave no matter what state I was in, I was going to get to leave without a bill at the end to then worry about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And number two, I kept thanking my lucky stars that I was not a person of color because I was a white privileged 38 year old woman with a partner and a son. And I knew pretty confidently that I was going to get incredible care based on the way that I looked. Yeah. Right. And you were going to be taken seriously. Yes. So those were the two things that kept repeating in my head over and over and over again of how privileged and how lucky I was despite everything going on. Those were the like anchors I held on to. Because you must have needed something. Because I mean, (laughs) yes. My, again, my partner is my rock and my kid is my rock. We are a pretty insular unit, the three of us. And it was not common for us to be a week away from each other. That was a lot. Um, Well, and especially especially after like nine months of COVID. Yes. And under duress, right? Mm -hmm. I had to really learn how to advocate for myself and ask for things myself. I've always been very vocal, but this was the moments. So going back even, so um, like cardiograms, echoes, I had tons they took my blood sugar my blood sugar was up at 22 a normal range is about four or five so my blood sugar had shot up because my organs were failing and not functioning properly and so they had to flush me full of insulin they had to give me aspirin so much meds so 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 many tests after about four days in the hospital they said look we can't find anything wrong with your heart we've looked, we've done dye tests, we've done everything. We can't find anything wrong with your heart. We're going to do these two more tests, but you have to wait two days because the hospital is so busy and the doctors are on rotating shifts and there's COVID patients. And so you are just going to have to stay here. And I basically had a mental breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. They had to sedate me because I was like, I'm going home. I'm, I'm going home. I'm not staying here. And I'll come back in two days for the test. Yeah. Let me go home. But they said because of COVID, they could not couldn't. guarantee that I would get back in. Mm. They were like, the beds are so full that if you leave and you come back and we don't have room for you, then we don't have room for you. Right now we have a spot for you. You're in your spot. So keep your yeah. spot. So keep your spot. And they were gonna, they were like, you have to sign a whole legal thing saying that you're you would leave under like against medical advisement, I guess right. is what they said that yeah. we're saying, don't do this. And if you would have to sign saying you wouldn't sue us if you walked out on the street and died. <laughs> so that was also really like intimidating and helped make my decision. And yeah. a lot when you're uh, by yourself and yes. So they moved me out of that ICU room with that poor old gentleman. His name was George. I still think about George and his wife's name was Betty. And I keep thinking about like that poor guy. They moved me down to a space where they were holding all people who were not emergent and didn't have COVID. So they could kind of section us all off. And then they told me they had to keep me for two more days because they didn't have enough doctors to do the specialized tests and had a mental breakdown, (laughs) literally bawling in the thing, being like, I don't know what to do here. And they sedated me and I sat in a bed for a whole day sedated just not really understanding what was going on. At this point, my eyesight had come back because they lowered my blood sugar. Yeah, I was going to say, like, was it your blood sugar that was the cause of your, your, yes. your sight loss? loss yeah. Yes. Um, so that was better because I could <laughs> see the people see? I was talking to yeah. and go to the bathroom on my own and shower. And, and the medical staff were incredible. They were so kind and so attentive and really listened to me. And they could understand that I was just like, I just want to see my kid. I just want to see my kid. I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. So all of this happens. 
I wait the two days, they give me the special test and they're like, look, we can't find anything wrong with your heart. There's absolutely nothing wrong with your heart. So we think it was stress. And my feminist rage turned on immediately. And I was like, I need you to do more tests then because typically women are told that their symptoms are psychological as opposed to physiological. And women get sent away from doctor's offices and hospitals and serious emergent situations because doctors literally diagnose them with hysteria. They're like, you're hysterical, go home, take birth control, whatever the thing is. Yeah. So these people were saying it was just stress. It was just a heart attack brought on by stress. Are you stressed? And I'm like, I am a woman in Ontario who has a child right now. Like I'm trying to keep in a pandemic, right? I'm stressed. (laughs) We're like the lowest class citizen right now. Yes. I am homeschooling my child who needs extra support in the classroom on a daily basis. I am trying to run my business so that I don't drown. And so I have something at the end of the day. I have a husband who's working 12 hour days because the city of Toronto is not treating their employees properly during a pandemic. And now I'm here. I am fucking stressed. But I also don't think that that is just something, a heart attack is something you just write off and say, you're just stressed. It's okay. Here's some aspirin. Go home. Yeah. I really had to advocate for myself. And I kept stating to them, I was like, women are constantly ignored for our problems and our symptoms and are constantly told that it's psychological. And I'm not saying that it can't be, but I need to know that you have done everything you can possibly do under the sun to To rule out anything else. Right. And not just call me a hysterical woman and send me home to my family. And that must they know you had a heart attack. Yes. Based on what my heart was doing and what my organs were doing when I showed up, they were like, this is all conclusive of a heart attack, but there's no damage. There's no blockages. There's no. Right. But I'm 38 years old and I had a heart attack and you're just going to be like, you know, it's probably just stressed. Go home, sleep it off, have a glass of wine. Like they were honestly like, you know, meditate, (laughs) try and try and rest. And I remember looking this, like, again, this, like, I don't know, like 32 year old cardiac resident dude in the face and being like, it's, it's like three days until Christmas. And like, I was on the phone on my second day here with my husband being like, the teacher's gifts are in the cupboard and the wrapping paper is in the basement in a, like, and my husband is actually one of the good ones who really does like take care of the child. And I never touch a dish. Like he's really great, but this is just the life of a mom. Yeah. That sometimes this is just reality. So you can't just tell me to go home and meditate and not fucking stress. And then maybe my heart will be okay. (laughs) But it must have been so hard at that point to advocate to stay longer for more tests and to do all those things because you did want to go home and be with your family. Yes. I was really torn about what to do. Yeah. Because I absolutely wanted to go home, but I also didn't want to drop dead on Christmas Day in front of my kid. And that was my like Stephen, I call it my Stephen King brain, my like worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. was really replaying in my head and it was the only thing that kept me there for longer to advocate for myself and say Mm -hmm. women are mistreated in the medical system all of the time and I'm not I'm not going to take it I'm just I'm just not you cannot brush me off after something this huge there's no reason why a woman my age who is as active as I am this that this should have happened right yeah Mm -hmm. what I learned is that heart health in women is so understudied there are so few studies about why women have cardiac incidents most medical studies are white men 100 percent. because when's the first female doctor like there you know what i mean like women haven't been in the system long enough to create enough years to research 
women's health. It's why anytime you're like, I have a problem with my period, there's like, here, here's some hormones, put some fucking hormones in your body. But yeah. that's their solution. To and like any- training us to not trust our bodies is basically yes. what they're doing. Yes, 100%. They're just like, take this synthetic thing to make your body work the way I think it should as a man. Yeah. You know? It makes it easier for me. Yes. Not easier for you, easier for me as the doctor. Exactly. Because then you can go away and you won't talk to me about these problems anymore. But what actually happens is that you then get a whole host of other issues and you don't feel like you can advocate for yourself because you were ignored. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you just become silent about your own body and the medical system and how they treat you. It's a catch 22, right? Because the more you persist, the more they're like, you seem very stressed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah right or you've got like the star or the red dot on your file yes difficult one so yes problematic woman in the yeah. room yeah you know give her some hormones <laughs> exactly so it was a really like again on one hand I was super grateful for the privilege that I had and it really opened my eyes even more so to all of that but it also was an incredibly frustrating process to also then be treated as a woman in the medical system and Mm -hmm. to have to advocate to to push Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in the end they basically were like we're gonna treat you like a diabetic for the next year because a bunch of your organs did not work properly and blood sugar built up in your body this is our game plan and we'll give you like a like a hypertension pill just to make sure that your heart is okay. And then a month after I got out of the hospital, I was like, I'm still having palpitations. Things are still wrong. And I had to call them three times to be like, I still don't feel right. And they kept saying, this is normal. It's normal not to feel right. It's normal after such a traumatic event to not feel right. And I had to push and push and push and push they finally gave me a monitor that I wore because they were like, while you were in the hospital, we didn't see any incidents. And I was like, well, while I was in the hospital, I was fucking blind and lying in a, in a bed. Like I, I couldn't move. I didn't yeah. exercise. Yeah. I didn't go up and down stairs. Like you guys wheeled me around everywhere I went. So, so they put this holster. Yeah. And I had to wear it for a week and I danced with it on. Like I did fitness classes with it on to see if anything happened. Because and you're again, a fit- fitness instructor right? I am. So I run my own company. I do postnatal fitness for moms. So I'm active. I, you know, teaching classes all the time, being up and around and about. Um, so they put this thing on me and then it, again, three months of calling and calling and calling to be like, do you have my results? Do you have my results? Do you have my results? And then being like, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. Three months, three months. And then their response was, there's no abnormal arrhythmias there are arrhythmias but none are abnormal and then I said what does that mean and they said we are discharging you you no longer have a heart issue you can talk to an endocrinologist who will follow you for your diabetes for the next year but we are no longer involved in your care because we have decided that you are I'm like dumbfounded, (laughs) right? Yeah. I, I'm still mad. Like I still need therapy. It feels like post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm still furious about it. It's like they were gaslighting you. Yes. That's exactly how I felt. And I'm just thinking, I mean, you, you had a heart attack. If I had a heart attack, I would want a cardiologist in my life. Like, like, yeah, that's what I would want to be under, right? To be under the care of a cardiologist. So for a cardiologist to now discharge you and say, we're not involved with your case anymore. I imagine there's some worry that comes with that. You, I'm thinking, but, but she had a heart attack. I know. What what do you mean as a cardiologist, you're discharging her? I know. They're, they're basically like, we've done everything. It sounds strange. Yeah. 
right? Like they're like, we've done every test that we can and we can't find anything wrong. So it was a singular incident. You've healed from that singular incident. And so we're done with you. Right. And what I'm learning as, as I find a community of women who have had heart attacks, who same story as me out of the blue, that it's, it's just so common. And there's, you know, there's like heart health for women days or like fundraisers for women who have had heart issues because it's so common, but they still are not doing the research that they need to do because it's women's health. Exactly. And as we've seen as recently as this month, the system doesn't care about women's health. No, they really don't. They just don't have the knowledge base and, and I they don't, but they don't care to get it. It's not even yeah, like accepting yeah. that they don't have the knowledge base. They don't care to do the work to get it. Yes. I mean, not heart health, but women's health. I've had a conversation with my gynecologist about this because I had cervical cancer and I had a variant of cervical cancer that I said to her, I'm like, I can't find like really any medical journals or anything. There's very little research out there about this variant. And she was, she basically just was like, yeah, well, because it's women's health. So nobody's really researching it. Like we know there's variants and yours is an uncommon one. So the buck stops there. Yeah. No one's spending any time or money on it, but I'm like, okay, so I have this rare variant. What does that mean? Yes. And nobody could really tell me <laughs> if that makes sense because they're just yes. the research. They're like, hasn't stop, been being, there. stop being stressed though. Yeah. Don't worry, don't about, worry about it. About it. <laughs> It'll fine. come back if you're stressed about it. Right. Um, yeah. So then you're stressed about the fact that you're stressing. Um, it's like, that's kind of cyclical. I'm doing a circle. No one can see me, but it's just like spiraling. <sighs> well, so what's really interesting. I remember when you shared about this on Instagram, cause I'm a creeper and Love it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if it was before that or after that. No, it would, it would have been before that the first and, and my, you know, pop culture obsession will be and media obsession will come in here. There was an episode of Grey's Anatomy where Miranda had a heart attack. So and Grey's she, Anatomy, I've probably seen it in its entirety eight times. I'm obsessed with that show. Mm-hmm. So yes, I know exactly what you're talking I'm about. I'm sure you do. And she stood in the ER saying, not yes. at Grey Sloan, at, a diff- at the other ho- hospital yes, for like half a day, half a day yes. trying to get them to, she knew she was having a heart attack because she at least was a doctor and knew enough to know that she was having a heart attack. But even there, no one listened to her. Yes. Because the symptoms in women are different than the symptoms in men. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, when you watch a movie and a woman is giving birth and you're like, oh, that's not how it happened at all. Like, it's so absurd. Like yeah, mamas yeah. or when their water breaks or whatever. Yeah, thing yeah, yeah. Well, the gushing if, water. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's not a thing that happens. But, well, some people it does, but it's yes, not very fair, common, fair. actually. <laughs> no, but everyone, like, you know, if you're like a 20-year-old woman who, like, hasn't had an experience, you're like, oh, that's what birth looks like, the screaming yeah. and the whatever, but it's the same with heart attacks. There's just, like, this weird media representation of what heart attacks look like. Yeah. And so then we're raised to just wait for those symptoms. Yep. And it's all based right. on men. It's, it's always I, men. I don't that's know exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, I don't even, I think that's the first time I can ever recall seeing a woman having a heart attack in any kind of a media representation. Yes. I agree with you. I think that's the one and only time I can think of. I'm, I can't pull anything and maybe it has been covered, but I also can't think of any time in a movie or a television show where they've shown a woman having a heart attack. Right. And I, I don't even know enough to say that the way they depict men having heart attacks is necessarily a hundred percent accurate either, either. but it's probably a little more reflective of what men experience or because they, again, if the doctors don't know about it, because typically in those instances, you know, if it's something that nobody on the show is familiar with, they will have a conversation with 
somebody's friend who's a doctor or something. Like they, they, they yeah, do, they'll pull some, they do some research, right? So they, they'll talk to somebody. Yeah, for sure. But because there's no frame of reference for women. Yes. I think the most powerful part of all of this was when I did post about it on Instagram, I cannot, I was flabbergasted. I cannot express to you how many women reached out and said, okay, so what were your symptoms? Because I've been feeling this and I've talked to my doctor about it and they say it's not a big deal. And so I felt like I was almost like a therapist for women who had heart kind of symptoms Mm -hmm. to be like, advocate for yourself, push, push, push. Like they're not going to stop being your doctor. If you demand that they see you and they do tests, ask for tests, tell them your symptoms over and over and over again, tell them that they're not going away, ask for specific things to happen. Mm -hmm. And if they will not do that, then you need to go to another source because Mm -hmm. this is not something you should ignore. And we're constantly taught Mm -hmm. this, but I'm honestly like, it's not polite though to exactly exactly and that's that's probably part of it is we're taught to be polite we're taught to like doctors are so revered so if a doctor says something you're supposed to accept that because they're the they're the the almighty doctor who are you to question that and I I have endometriosis which I suffered with for years yes and repeatedly talked to my male doctor about that, who is no longer my doctor, and was completely ignored. Yep. Over and over and over and over again. Yes. Until I had difficulty conceiving and I started seeing a fertility specialist, that's when I was finally diagnosed. But I'd probably been complaining to my doctor about that, about my symptoms for. 15 years at that point. Right. Yeah. I had the same experience. And especially as a, you know, as a teenage girl, or I, even as a younger woman going to the doctor and saying, you know, I have this pain, this, you know, these are my symptoms, blah, blah, blah. And the doctor's like, Oh, you're fine. I mean, I don't know any better. This is a doctor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're taught to trust them and that they know more than you. Then I'm going to revered profession bring it up for another three years. Yes. And, and the solution, of course, was that I take birth control pills. Exactly. Which is or, just, it just circles back to what you were saying about the hormones. You're like, if you go on the pill, everything's going to be fine. Yes. But then a whole host of other issues come <laughs> up, right? Yeah. But like, how about actually looking at what's happening maybe? Yes. I, I don't know. Well, I, I, I think the medical system as a general rule is not built to look at the root cause of anything. Yes. They're just, just there to solve the symptom that you come in with. Right. right? So what happened after you were discharged? What did you do? <laughs> we reevaluated our whole life for sure, but medically not much different. I'm ashamed to say, I okay. mean, I will say that there's a lot of shame still in me for everything that happened. The reason I feel shame is because I live in a bigger body, um, especially than when I used to be a dancer. So I guess we're going to get to the body acceptance piece here that <laughs> it really, because all I had to do was sit in a hospital bed all day and think about my lot in life and think about how I got there. And I kept thinking my whole fitness career I've preached that at any size you can be healthy and I started to be like am I wrong is that wrong have I have I like fed into this narrative because I want women to feel empowered in their bodies I mean I've come out the other side and I absolutely still believe that you can be healthy at any size I really genuinely believe that Mm -hmm. I think part of people living in larger bodies who are unhealthy is the medical system just saying the solution is to lose weight, lose weight, no matter what you come in with, no matter if it's endometriosis, if it's a heart attack, if it's diabetes, if it's whatever that thing is, just lose weight. And this was also the narrative I kept hearing on Instagram when I was talking to women in my DMS, they just kept being like, Every single time I have brought up a medical, anything to my doctor, they have said that the solution is 
to lose weight. And so then I started coaching the women to be like, you need to say to your doctor, if I was a woman who lived in like a 130 pound body, whatever you deem healthy, the right size, whatever you think that is, what would be your treatment plan for them? And then you need to tell them to treat you like you weigh 130, 100, whatever that imaginary number that your doctor <laughs> has in their head deems you healthy, that they need to treat you in the same way. They would need to give you the same mm-hmm. treatment plan. And again, it's on women's backs to advocate for themselves. And when you are living in a fat body or a plus size body, it is already hard to exist in the world. It is already hard to take up space because everybody tells you that you shouldn't. And now you have a medical issue and you are speaking again to an authoritative figure that you've been told your whole life knows more than you. And you have to say, I understand that you think I'm fat and that that is the problem to all of, or that is the reason for all of my problems, but I don't agree with you. And so you need to do better. You need to be better at your job. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard thing to do when women haven't reached body acceptance. And even though I live in this space and I coach women through this all of the time, through this acceptance, I was lying in a hospital bed being like, I should work out more. Maybe I shouldn't eat the chicken wings every Friday night with my husband. Maybe I should be biking my kid to school every day instead of driving. Maybe all of the shame that I was brought up Mm -hmm. with in the dance world Mm -hmm. flooded back flooded back that I had caused this somehow because of the size of my body yes and I'm also thinking as you're talking about you know things I've heard people say Mm -hmm. about like oh she had a heart attack but like you know she's a bigger girl like it it's almost dismissed and treated like well obviously they had a heart attack and obviously it's it's there oh, well, she brought it on herself. For it. She, she brought, brought it on, it on herself, herself. Yes. Yeah. and maybe isn't treated with like the same with the empathy that it deserves yes newsflash skinny women have heart attacks skinny women yeah. can have diabetes skinny women <laughs> yeah. can also be very unhealthy we talked to a skinny woman who has diabetes this is what i'm saying <laughs> like it's not it's just a patriarchal narrative that cannot it just follows us around everywhere we go, even though- By the way, it's not just fat men who have heart attacks either. No, 100%. No. Like, no. it's it's not, it's like, come on, why? why? Anyway. No. But I can see for sure how, you know, you're, you're a fitness instructor. You exercise, obviously. You're pretty healthy. You're young. You have a heart attack. But as you said, like, I live in a bigger body. So then you're just questioning everything. And it's, I feel sad to hear you saying that you were thinking about all the things that you could or should be doing differently and the ways in which maybe you felt like you caused this to happen. But I also think that that's probably what most women people are doing. Yeah. They've had a heart attack. Well, Jen, you said you were like, what did you do after? What happened after? And really I had to resist the urge to do nothing. Or I had to, (laughs) I had to almost tell myself like not much should change because this can spiral into disordered eating and disordered exercise really fucking quickly for me. Totally. I I want to be less stressed. Right right? You want to keep your stress level down. And if you start trying to do all of these things, you're just going to make yourself crazy. You're going to make yourself more stressed. Mm -hmm. If you're now worrying about bicycling your kid to school every day and not enjoying the chicken wings on Friday night with your husband, like the pieces where life happens, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. (laughs) And especially now, like, I feel like we all appreciate so much more of those little things that make life worth living and joyful. Mm-hmm. But my question came more from, cause you were so fired up yeah. that you like found a cardiologist or, you know, like whatever. It was less <laughs> about like your own I, actual yeah. health, but like, 
No, yes, I understood what you meant. Yeah. I think when you went there, I started to think like, what did I do? I worked really hard not to change a lot of things. Yeah, which but, is, is- And to resist those thoughts that you were having. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, and especially if it's a place that you've been before and, and you know, I too was a dancer and I was lucky that it never went anywhere huge for me. I danced at a little town dance studio. We did some competitions. We did recitals. Like it was a very wonderful experience, but I know people who dance with the Boston ballet and, you know, things like that. And it's an incredibly toxic environment. Yes. If you don't fit that mold. And even if you do fit that mold to stay within it, you have to make sure you continue to fit the mold. Yeah. Yes. I was an actress from the time I was 15 until the day I peed on the stick. That's what I tell people. (laughs) I peed on the stick. It said I was pregnant. And I said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. It's a lot of work to fit yourself into what an industry that is incredibly toxic deems good enough. And I wasn't willing to do that, not only while I was pregnant, but then after that my life became about something different and I'm cool. People are like, are you ever going to go back to acting? And I'm like, no, my life is just bigger and broader than that. Now it was very tunnel visioned. And it, a lot of that tunnel vision focused around making sure that my body stayed an appropriate size that I would look good on camera or I could fit into the costumes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it is something that so easily would have like, this is this event traumatic enough on its own is easily something that could send you back there. Yes, really easily. And again, when I was all alone, that was planning. You were planning for it. You were like, I I know what works. Like, I'm just going to go back there. hundred percent. I'm going to exercise every day. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to make sure I eat more salads. I eat fucking salads. I exercise. Like none of this was helpful I kind of think that social media can be a real, (laughs) I don't know, like real pit that you can fall into. Mm -hmm. But for me in that time sharing my story, it was really powerful to hear from other women and to then feel like a bit of responsibility to help them advocate for themselves and for their bodies. And so it kind of helped me climb out of that pit of despair or that that want to go back to that disordered place because I could watch these women start to have those own thoughts of if this could happen to Jen, then this could happen to me. Yeah. Right. And so that really helped me pull myself out of that place of like, I'm going to fix my body. Because yet again, you're being told that it's your body. That's the problem. Yes. I have so many rage feelings right now. I know. I know. I know. I know. So many. I think you know, I, I know what you're, to go back to what you asked too, of like, what did you do? Did you go get a new cardiologist or whatever? I think that the pandemic has broken me a little bit. And I normally would have been really persistent and really gone after it mm-hmm. because that's just who I am. I do not shut up easily, much mm-hmm. to the dismay of my family. <laughs> not, my, not my husband and my kid, mostly my parents are yes. aghast. Yes. Yes. But I think that the pandemic just kind of put everything to perspective in a way where I was like, you know what, I'm not going to use my energy to fight the medical system in this moment. Yeah. I'm going to spend time with my kid. My husband took stress leave from May up until last Monday. So he was home with us for months. The summer. That's amazing. It was everything we needed on all fronts based mm-hmm. on everything that had gone down in the past year not just with me but every life you know yeah so even just having that time with my kid and my husband was the healing that I feel like I really needed you know yeah Mm -hmm. did all of this make you trust your body less yeah definitely I wish I wish that that wasn't the answer but yeah no, I mean, I would imagine if you, if you said no, I would be shocked. Yeah. It feels a little bit like it betrayed me. Like I try and take good care yeah. of it. I call myself health neutral. Like I, I do everything that makes me feel good. Whether that involves 
what society deems as healthy or unhealthy. I really am just trying to live my life in a way where I'm going to have chicken wings with my husband on a Friday. And then maybe on the Saturday where I'm like, well, <laughs> we'll have a salad. Yeah. Or if I want to spend more time snuggling in bed with my kid, then I'll drive him to school so that we can snuggle more. And on the days where I'm like, oh, it's beautiful outside. I need the fresh air. And then I'll bike. So I'm still trying to live my life that way. But I I would be lying if I said that I didn't have that seed of doubt planted now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that maybe, maybe the decisions I make are not right. Maybe being a little bit more impulsive about where I'm going to sit on this scale is not the weight scale, but on the scale of like healthy or not, whatever society says yeah. that is, that maybe I should be paying more attention. Mm-hmm. Did you struggle with that prior that type of thinking sort of before the heart attack? For sure. I, you know, I'm a little bit more, again, I'm a bit of a raging feminist. So I think it was easier for me to be like, fuck the patriarchy. These are all standards set by magazines and men who make clothes for teeny little women. And I'm just living my life. I have everything I need. I'm happy. And now I get to help other women feel this way as well. But also some days I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh dear, oh gosh. And that's okay. And that's normal to feel that way. As long as then your afterthought is it's cool. Like it's okay. You can talk yourself back out of it. Yeah. Having one of those days that I'm just not digging it. Just not having a good, you know, like a mental health day. Some days you're like happy and everything's great. And some days you wake up and you're like, the world is awful. I'm going to lay in my bed all day. And you don't judge yourself for that. You can have that same feeling with your body. You can wake up one day and be like, I'm rocking it. I'm killing it. And wake up the next day and be like, I oh, dear, I'm going to wear a sack because that's just <laughs> how I feel, you know? Because I don't feel like trying to make myself feel good in anything else. Yes. And I, I asked my question about if you mistrusted your body, because I know Tisha, that was something you kind of struggled with as well. Oh yeah. I mean, when Jen, you just said, I felt like I was betrayed by my body. That's like the exact word that I would have used. And this idea that something was wrong and I had no idea. Yeah. Like that. So I had cancer. So, I mean, it starts at some point and it was growing But like the idea that something was growing in my body and I didn't know, and like that my body allowed it to grow, if that makes sense. Like, that's how I felt like I was like, how could my body have allowed this to happen? And why isn't my body functioning in the way that it should? Like, yeah. And I felt, yeah, kind of like betrayed is the word that I would use. I felt like it let me down. Yeah. Maybe I could take better care of her. I don't know. I do an okay job. I think I'm probably um, <laughs> health neutral too. I like this term. Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of what feels good. And I was just going back to thinking about like those times where we look in the mirror and we don't feel good about our bodies. And I, I liked this, this concept that you're like, some days you feel more energetic than others. Some days you're going to feel great about your body than others, but are there things that you say to yourself on those kind of down days that help pick you up? I think that you just need to remember that someone put that thought into your head at some point in time that Mm -hmm. the image that you're seeing in the mirror is not good enough. I don't know when that happens. It happens at a different time for everybody about what that standard is or what that thing you see in the mirror is the thing that bothers you, whether it's like cellulite or your belly or your wrinkles or your hair, whatever that thing is for you, that is not coming from you. That is coming from an outside source. Someone once Mm. said that curly hair is not great. Someone once said that cellulite is not beautiful. Someone once said that big tummies, soft tummies are not attractive. You didn't put that thought in there yourself. That came from an outside source. And who the fuck cares what other people (laughs) think is attractive or unattractive? Yeah, you're right. Somebody 
put that thought there. Somebody, it can be honestly from childhood, from your mother, if, if they had disordered eating or any body issues of their own that went unhealed, it could be a magazine. It could be a friend that you had in high school. Mm -hmm. It could be, there's so many avenues where those thoughts get put in your head, but they're not your own. They're not your own. And just to go back to the feminism of it all, the root of all of those is men. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's either you need to be this size to attract a man, to keep a man, or it's Mm -hmm. a man who is putting out the magazine that's showing the, you know, thigh gaffed, bikini clad, airbrushed bodies. Yes. And we see that image over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so one of the other things that I do, and the very first thing that I get my clients to do, because I'm not just a fitness instructor, I'm actually like someone who really tackles the mindset issues around working out and trying to get you to love to move to your body, whatever that looks like for you. But the very, <laughs> great. Um, the very, very first thing I do that I tell my clients to do is follow a bunch of people on Instagram who look like you and do incredible things people in bigger bodies than you, people who have disabled bodies, people who have different skin color than you, advocates, body positive advocates. It's not enough to just unfollow the like ripped bikini clad bodies that make you feel bad about yourself. You need to follow bodies that Mm. look like yours so that you can normalize your body for yourself. You can see your body over and over and over and over again and women just living in the same size body or bigger than yours just living their fucking lives yes and loving it idea of like curating your feed I've written about a few times on Instagram because you are ultimately in control of what shows up in your feed yes And yes, you'll get advertisements, but those advertisements are even geared to what you hover on, what you look at, what you search. I mean, everything that's showing up in your feed is curated by you. And so absolutely you can curate a feed that's going to make you feel better about yourself and that's going to inspire you. Yeah. And you're right. It's not just about unfollowing the stuff that makes you feel bad, but actually seeking out the things that make you feel good. Yes. And normalize, like when you were talking about like, what are we going to call this? Is it body love? Is it body? I think body love is a huge, massive step for people. When you've been taught your entire life to hate yourself and hate your Mm -hmm. body, love Mm -hmm. is a, like, it's a grandiose step. And so I'm not even wanting you to follow people who look like you to learn to love your body like they do. I just want you to normalize it. I want you to see that other people exist in the world exactly like you. Yeah. That you are not the biggest person in the room, even if you are, that that doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. yes, just normalize, normalize, neutralize all of the things you think about your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's so many messages that we receive. And I think you're right. So many of them, you know, so many of them do come from media, but so many of them just come from our childhood. Like I was yes. a skinny kid. But I was never called skinny in a derogatory way, ever. I always felt like it was a badge of honor that I was skinny. Right. That it was like, sometimes my grandmother might be like, oh, you're skin and bones. But it was almost said in like, it was good. Yeah. I understood from a very young age that being skinny was good. Yes. So then what happens when I'm 30 and I'm not skinny anymore? Like that was a mind fuck. Yeah. And the way that I saw my body and perceived myself because I was no longer the skinniest girl in the room anymore. So what value do you have now when that was placed in a high value? Yes. Right. Like that, that the struggle is real Yeah, Mm -hmm. to like learn to accept my body and love my body and 
I'm not saying that people necessarily look at me and be like, oh, she's a bigger girl, but you know, there's those ideas are planted in our minds where all of a sudden, like, you know, my belly's a little bit softer than it used to be. As and it should like, be, you had it, you, you had, had two children. Child. You had a child. This is I the mean, thing I I've, keep telling people to this. I've had two children. I've had multiple abdominal surgeries. I'm 40. You know, you also I, don't need to justify why you have exactly. If this is none of those thing. things had happened in your life, it would still you be would okay. It'll be okay if you had a soft tummy. And the yes. other thing, sometimes I tell myself, I remember when I was a kid, um, like my grandmother was soft and I yes. loved it. I loved yes. cuddling up with her. I loved when she wrapped her arms around me because it was comforting. She was soft and she was squishy and she was comfortable and she was beautiful. I love it. And sometimes I remind myself that like these ideas of what we've been taught are beautiful to the eye are not necessarily what are beautiful even necessarily to the touch. Like I loved cuddling my grandmother yeah, because she was squishy. Yes. <laughs> Right. So those things are yeah. not necessarily the same. And I think that's beautiful too. Yes. Well, like, the fact that we're not all the same and our bodies aren't all the same is in fact beautiful. Yeah. Um, going back to the idea of, of curating your feed, like we're often, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard, you know, you're the product of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. Let's be real in the pandemic. One of those <laughs> yes. people is Instagram. Yes. That's good. Yes. yes. So make it something that you want to be, or you want to accept, or you want to love, or you want to whatever, and that you don't have to change yourself to fit into. Oh my God. No, this, I want to bring up the narrative of like getting your pre-baby body back. Oh, it is is my uh, most, I know it's my most hated phrase. And again, here's the thing that I tell my clients all the time. At no other point in time in your life, like when you go through puberty and you're 14, you're not like, oh, I wish I had my 10-year-old body back. Right? <laughs> I don't want these boobs anymore. Right? Or like, you know, when you're 20, you're not like, oh, I wish I had my 15-year-old body back. Like the only time in our life that we do that is after we have a baby when we've like literally grown a human inside of us and, and expelled them from our body, like. <laughs> push them out of our bodies. And then, and then like feed them from our bodies or like not sleep. And, and this narrative that you have to go back in time after you've literally gone through a metamorphosis, your entire body has changed. And your mind, you've yes. changed to the very core of your being. Yes. 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 And your very core has changed. You cannot explain that to people who don't have children the the massiveness that is the change and no matter how much you say I'm not going to change my friend (laughs) it's gonna happen right life happens well and what's I I find really hard and was something that um really made our marriage difficult after kids is that your partner whoever that person is whether they're a man or another woman because if that other woman is not carried a baby, then they do not understand. Yes. Whoever is the non baby carrying person has no goddamn clue. And it's not to dismiss what that there have been changes for them as a parent and any of that. But I don't sometimes says in the dark, mama, I feel bad because I think I love you more than I love Papa. That's sweet. And I say, you know, buddy, I, that's okay. Like, I know that you love Papa with everything you have, but I grew you inside of me. Like, we're going to have a special. You literally came from my body. Yeah. We're going to have a special connection that is impossible to recreate based on that. It's okay mm-hmm. that you feel sometimes like you love me a little bit more then Papa, because yeah. I'm going to go back for a second to your, yeah. your pre baby body, getting mm-hmm. that back. I remember having a conversation with somebody once and my feet grew half a size when I was pregnant. Yes. And 
they just are. They are a half a size bigger. They have never gone back. And there's no part of me that is trying to get my feet back to their pre-baby self. Yes. Like, I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to, this is the size of my feet. I'm going to have to buy a few new pairs of shoes. But with our clothing, we think we have to fit back into it in order to be really valued. Yes. Instead of just saying, this is my new body, I guess I'm going to have to buy some new clothes. Yes. That fit me and that I feel good in. Yes. It's such a twisted narrative that we think we have to get back to where we were. Yep. And there's somebody that I follow on Instagram who had a baby recently and within a few weeks of the baby being born started posting about getting that pre-baby body back. And I'm like, that's when I am like, unfollow, unfollow. Yes. Yes. I'm cringing a little bit. I can't. I can't. No, I can't listen to it either. But I also felt sad that she feels like that pressure to do that. 100%. But also people have to be mindful about the rhetorics they're putting out on the internet in that way. It, it can be really, really triggering for people to constantly see you posting about your diet and mm-hmm. your body shrinking and fitting into new clothes. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be proud of the accomplishments that you achieve if you're working hard. I'm not going to shame any woman if they want to shrink their bodies. I ask you to question why that is, why you think that's important, why you value that. Why are we spending this energy and time? Yes. Because it's not even about like the time that you're doing a workout. Like I firmly support working out because I don't think there's any better way to just in general make yourself feel good yes than moving your body yes but the brain space and energy that you have to put in to actively be trying to lose weight and shrink your body mental energy that it takes to then do it from a like place of punishment Mm -hmm. to exercise a lot of people find it a struggle to get up and motivate themselves to exercise, even if they love it, mm-hmm. even if they enjoy it. So imagine trying to find that energy if you're, all you're doing is using it as a form of punishment and hatred and mm-hmm. a way to make up for your choices that you've made. And is this something you encounter? I mean, you do post-natal fitness. Do you encounter that women are punishing themselves to... All the time. I constantly say, you just need to find a way because the truth is moving your body is good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health. There is no denying that. Good for your heart health. It's good for your heart health, right? It's good. It's good for you. It's a great thing to do and everybody should do it. But you need to find a way to do it that makes you happy and excited to do it. You need to do it in a space that makes you happy and excited. I love weightlifting. It's like one of my favorite things because I can see the like bar. I can see myself lifting heavier. It makes me feel powerful. I love that. But if I walk into a space where it's all thin bodies and nobody, nobody values me being in that room in the same way that they value the skinny people being in that room, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the thing that I love becomes a thing that I hate because I don't want to be in that space. Yep. Right. You need to find the right space. You need to find the right form of movement. And I think that women their whole lives have been told that exercise is a form of punishment. We also go to gym class and are told to like run laps as forms of punishment. We're like playing dodgeball, which is like a horrifying (laughs) game to play. Like you just get balls thrown at your face. So from like a very early age, we kind of hate moving our bodies or it's a little bit scary. And so that narrative is just constantly reinforced until we get into our thirties and our forties. And we're a little bit more like, fuck it all. I'm going to do the thing that I like. And then you're like, wait a minute, do I like this? I don't even know if I like that. <laughs> I don't even know if I like this. What do I like? You know, 
and you've got to go on that journey, but you've got to go on it from a different place than you did before, where it was like, what's the thing that's going to make me lose weight? Now you're like, what's the thing that I actually enjoy doing? What makes me feel mm-hmm. good? Yeah. 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 So I see it all the time. And I constantly say to people, like, I hope that my space is a safe space for you and you like it. But if you don't like my workouts, I don't, I don't take that personally. I want you to find the thing that you love. Maybe you, I don't teach dance. Maybe it's dance. Maybe you just want to go dance hip hop. Maybe you want to learn ballet. Maybe you like to swim. I don't teach those things. I'm not going to be upset if you're like, you know what? I think I want to swim or I want to run or I want to like do a triathlon. Cool. Please go do that thing. Mm -hmm. That makes you feel good. Yeah. That makes you happy and makes you want to get up and do it again. Instead of being like, oh my God, I've got to do this thing again. And I always feel awful when I do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so many of us are doing that. 100%. Because we think that this is the thing that we should do. Mm-hmm. To, to be ourselves. smaller. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, amazing. Thank you so Love much. For Thank you. <laughs> sharing all of that with us and sharing your story with us just sharing your, your journey. And I've really liked this conversation about, you know, just the feminism of it all. <laughs> I know, man, the feminism of it all. It's like the audacity, but the feminism. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> yes. Thanks friends. I really appreciate. Yes. These, these conversations are so important and it's so yeah. important to have people who are knowledgeable about it, getting out there and talking about it. Yeah. Right. Like yourself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank coming you so much, Jen. We loved having you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.